Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. School exclusions rose by 40% between 2013 and 2019. In response to this, an investigation was launched by the Education Select Committee, which paved the way for St Timpson review of school exclusions in 2019. This made 30 recommendations to schools of how to use exclusions appropriately, and then made a recommendation for the new officer framework to look at patterns of exclusions in schools. In this episode, we talked to Karina and Beta, who has explored the views of parents on reintegration and exclusion, and offers advice on how schools can empower parental voice in this process. Thank you for coming on the Emotional Curriculum. Just a little bit about you to start with. You work as an educational psychologist. What got you interested in the area of your research? Well, um, I had observed, as in my experience as an educational psychologist, um, that students who had been excluded from school or moved to an alternative provision, such as a ERU, had... Um, real difficulties returning to mainstream education. And I also observed that those difficulties were managed differently according to where in the the country you work. At the same time, I was uh, training as a family therapist while working as an educational psychologist. And um, because of my interest in family therapy, I've always been interested in how schools and parents relate to each other. Mm. And... um, and I had these, I had exclusions in my mind, I had the relationship between parents and schools. And when I presented my research proposal in my training for my, to my research supervisor, she said, well, why don't you look at the aspects of that relationship that support reintegration? When reintegration happens, what in that relationship facilitates um, a child to go back to a mainstream setting? So what do you think is behind this rise in exclusion in more recent years? I, I think, and what the Timson Review School says is also that um, there's been um, a pressure on schools to show that they are, that their students are achieving. So leak tables, um, perhaps often inspection frameworks that have emphasised um, achievement and, and grades in schools, you know, and GPSE results have led, especially secondary school, uh, schools, to exclude students who maybe might be underachieving. Mm. Um, because also we know that there is a link between achievement and behavior, and um, when children don't feel necessarily settled at school, we know that they can't learn well, they can't achieve well. Yeah. So the two go hand in hand. Um, and I think what the Timson Review also says is that managers of schools, senior management teams, they can see that there are complex needs, you know, in, in the lives of these children. They don't know how to tackle them and, and they have all these pressures, pressures on them and they have the need.
needs of the whole school and the learning needs of the whole school to consider. And we know that head teachers have absolute powers to exclude children. Yeah. They, even though there are independent review panels and tribunals available now, the take up of those by parents is not high. And when they when they do take them up, um, when they do happen, the recommendations of that panel don't need to be followed by head teachers. So. I think those pressures have um, certainly influenced the high rate of exclusions we are seeing today. Mm. So the, the legislation around it is weighted in favour of what the school wants or chooses for the child over um, maybe the parent. Which... I think so, yeah. yes. So I really wanted to know, as I said earlier, what in that relationship between parents and schools can facilitate reintegration and what I found is that so I wanted in my research I just wanted to concentrate on reintegration but parents the parents I interviewed didn't let me do that they saw exclusion and reintegration as one process mm. um, and they kept going back to it so I think it's important for schools to consider when they they are welcoming a child who has been excluded that parents can be quite scarred by the previous experience of exclusion and and they're very anxious for um, for the the new school to be good, to be, and they tend to idealise any efforts that the school makes, actually, in reintegrating the child. And how did taking that position with the school affect the position they took with their own child? So what I found is that um, they, they had taken very antagonistic positions. So either they allied with the child in the experience of exclusion, mm. the child was to be exonerated, or um, they um, justified the decision of the schools and they tend to blame or condemn the child. Yeah. There was very little opportunity to sit down and have a more both and as we say in family therapy, a more integrated approach. Okay. Because by the very nature of it, um, this is an adversarial phenomenon. Mm. And I've been talking, you know, to, to teachers who I've been presenting my, my research to groups of teachers, and some of them had had experience of having had to go to tribunals with the independent review panels, having to present evidence of their, for, for their decision to exclude. And they were saying, yes, it, it is an assassination pack, basically. We have to put all the negative evidence in there about the child's misdemeanors and misbehavior, mm-hmm. and, and we couldn't take a whole view of the child. So this is what parents were saying, well, they miss this, they miss yeah. that, they miss my daughter's trauma, they miss my child's special needs, they miss opportunities to assess my child when they had him. And what impact do you think they had, the fact that they have to be so adversarial um, in the previous situation that they were in before reintegration? I noticed that they couldn't just come fresh to the new school and say, right, this is a new start. You know, they, they carry yeah. baggage, they carry yeah. baggage. And I think if teachers and head teachers ignore this baggage, it is at their peril because I think that first conversation when they they have the transition or inclusion meeting the, the very first time, it's very important that they let, let parents express their fears, their anxieties. So there's something there about the responsibility of the new school to contain um, the emotional load that the parents are bringing to them, really. Um, were there other things that parents suggested that could be facilitative or successful transition in the new school? The most important question for my research was what in that relationship, what, what will in the relationship between you and the school 
facilitate the reintegration of your child? What do you think is important? Give me three elements. And they said communication, collaboration, and commitment, which I deem to be the three C's of reintegration. And um, they said, you know, with um, communication, they said being available to talk and resolve issues fast before they fester, before they escalate. Don't let, the, the schools don't need to do this by themselves. Call us bring us in um, and one father was saying they can contact me at any point I will drop anything I will go to school we'll have that meeting mm. um, another one was collaboration and having the child's education and well-being as the only common goal um, a sense of working together um, and commitment to reintegration parents were very attuned to the attitude of the new school they knew very well when they could trust head teacher, a deputy head teacher, a Senko, to work hard to reintegrate that child. Um, and there were very moving accounts of this working really well. Yeah. So I think when when you have those three elements, you kind of you're halfway there, really. That's, that's what parents were saying. And we probably forget about the emotional impact that that's having. Oh, and, yeah. And I guess we think about it maybe for the child a little bit, but even less so for the parents. But I guess that parent-child interaction is getting affected by the whole process too. It is, yeah. That's something else that I found. Um, and parents could, you know, they had to reposition themselves in their parenting because mm. even when they were aligned with their child, they, they because of different reasons, if the child failed to turn up in time and their reintegration became jeopardised, they, of course, parents became quite, you know, um, impatient with that. You know, I said, well, what, what do you expect? How, how many more meetings do you want me to go to? Yeah. And, and it is that also the, the emotional experience of having to sit through those exclusion meetings or those independent review panel meetings and hearing these depictions of their children so negative um, and mm-hmm. literally being in a very adversarial system, a system that should be supporting them. And did parents express how that made them feel? We do know um, from other research studies that just looked at exclusion and the parental experience, that parents feel voiceless and powerless. And in a way, you know, one author, MacDonald and Thomas, they wrote something in 2003 and four, and there's a paper that I... Um, I looked at, and they were saying it dehumanizes them. You know, they, they use those strong words, and in a way, they accounts that the mothers specifically. I did see a gender difference between the experiences of the father I interviewed and the mothers, and the mothers felt, you know, they, they said things like the head teacher made me feel stupid in the meeting, or um, they made me. I thought I was losing my mind because the school were denying conversations we had had. Uh, you know, in in an effort to, for their account to be seen as credible and and justified. All that, you can understand then why you in a new school that they're reintegrating and can't just say, let's try and forget all that's happened because it is impossible to sit there and and just forget all those things that were said about your child or to to forget how that made you feel in that meeting as well. So, you know, when you you talk about it like that, you can really empathise with why they have to be thought of together, like you said at the beginning, that you can't just say, right, now's the reintegration, let's forget about the exclusion, but to think of them as all part of that same process. I think it. I think that's a really good point because um, 
At the same time, the parents were saying this, but they also said when it came to, say, the new re- the new school placement or the reintegration became jeopardized by a child misbehaving again, so I don't know, there was a mother telling me that a child had been caught um, smoke, smoking cannabis within the school grounds mm. um, and the new school. And the head teacher made a decision of saying, look, I'm going to give you another chance um, what happened was that the mother and the child were prepared for exclusion straight away and very defensive. The head teacher just de-escalated it and said, at that point he did say, well, that was the previous school. That's in the past. Let's leave that in the past. You are here now. I want, I like you. I want to give you another chance. Let's forget that. This was a mishap. Let's move on. And I think there is something about holding both positions, saying when it's necessary to say, let's leave that in the past, to mm-hmm. be able to say as, as schools as well. But I think the initial conversation, when you just meet parents, allowing an hour or so of, um, of a meeting for those parents to really be honest about what happened and not cutting off to show that conversation about the past. I think if that initial meeting could contain some of the past, that would be lovely. And then you move on. It's interesting because it almost positions the new school as their role to kind of help the healing process of that, doesn't it? You know, like you say, those opportunities where they're expecting it to go badly and the new school says, no, you're, you're gradually changing and giving them more hope. And I guess yeah. the new school has to accept that probably they're coming holding lots of things or lots of expectations and lots of anticipation of things being adversarial and that, that doesn't yeah. reflect on them. It's kind of what they're bringing from before. That's right, yes. And um, the, the parents who experience successful reintegration, they, they use very moving accounts and expressions to indicate that they saw the schools as providers of hope and a very clear demarcation from the past at the same time, you know. They wanted to talk about the past, but they they differentiated both the schools so strongly um, in the approach um, from the senior management. It was very important that they also that they met senior management, members of the senior management team, mm-hmm. uh, because they in, previously they had seen that... Um, perhaps what the conversations they have had with middle managers or heads of years or teachers hadn't gone all the way up to head teachers making decisions. The par- I think that's what parents struggle with, moving on and believing that um, things can change while also being aware of what happened in the past. Another thing you have been talking about is how p- parents often felt they had to adopt a position at quite an extreme end of the spectrum and I'm wondering, how did that play out in how forgiving or understanding they were of the behaviour that had led to their child being excluded? Oh, that was definitely influencing their positions around their child and, and their, um, yeah, their, their relationship with their child was definitely um, affected by this positioning. So um, one of the, fa- the father, one of the parents I interviewed, the father was saying, definitely it was his fault mm. and I'm taking control this is all you that you know he was relaying a conversation he had had with his son and saying this is all you this there's no one else here you know and so when are you going to change this behavior because we can't just keep moving you he was very condemning of the, of the child I only got one reference by which he said, oh, maybe, well, maybe he feels we are all against him, but the reality is that we need to do this. We need to, I need to ally with the school. And his advice to parents in his situation um, was, 
don't blame the school, work with the school, collaborate with them, and just go to all the meetings, pick up all the phone calls. He was very much a um, collaborative approach, and he even justified the excluding school, saying they really tried, but they couldn't. The only thing he regretted was that they had missed opportunities for assessing his special needs. And I expect you had some parents who took the opposite perspective too. The mums uh, I interviewed were very much um, in the position, especially one of them, in the position of, um, well, the school didn't understand my child and condemning the school. Mm. And in that sense, they would justify and ally with the child in a, in a different way um, and much more understanding of the child, the, their children's needs, um, and and really supportive of their children. So one mum was saying, I will exonerate your name. I will exonerate you from this. You trust me, I will do this. Mm. So they, they get themselves into this crusade almost. that mm. takes an enormous toll on, on their mental health and financial resources as well. Because these parents, you know, once they have a child excluded, they are left, the system is such that they are left in no man's land. They, there is not much information and sources of support for parents when their children are excluded. For educators and people working in schools listening to this, what what would you like them to take away from this conversation um, to think about or even to put in place? And what would you want them to keep and bear in mind? I think um, the the idea of communication, when especially during the first time, first few weeks of reintegration, having a very open line of communication with the parents. The child might not have enough resources. He, he or she comes from a very vulnerable position and might feel defensive and scarred by the previous experience. And the adults are the ones who need to establish this structure of support. And that, I think, is done mainly through communication at the very early stages. So uh, having that initial meeting, allowing time for that meeting so that parents can express, as I said, their issues in the past and also their hopes for the future uh, and having a telephone contact number of two or three people um, an email address a key worker that's very important taking notes and minutes about what was discussed sharing them if possible it doesn't have to be a whole essay but main bullet points yeah. um, because parents were saying there was a lot of inconsistency in the previous schools you know one her teacher would be saying the same, and the deputy would come and say a different thing. Collaborating, I think that is also important, finding um, access to support. And um, they, they were, for example, one of the things they said, they had, they, parents felt very validated by external professionals. So if, if schools are struggling with aspects of behaviour, immediately um, discussing this with parents and then um, maybe seeking sources of support from other agencies mm. um, but collaborating in a way that um, if, if there's been an issue at school and it needs to be addressed at home that it is addressed along the same line you know, that there is no disparity between the school and, and home yeah. and commitment, really deciding I think for schools, it's important that they decide do we really can we really have this child at our school. And once that decision is made, 
really attempting to like the child, but it sounds a bit silly, but yeah, really yeah. committing to having that child in your school. And I think most schools, most schools do this uh, really well. I, I do believe that every teacher wakes up in the morning try, and, and with a commitment to do the best for each one of their students. Um, but, but showing that, showing um, a connection to the child, and if possible, showing that connection to the child in front of the parents when they're in meetings and, um, you know, uh, showing that they know that child. Parents feel very reassured when, when they can detect that um, teachers, anyone or any member of a staff in school knows their child and is, is by their side and is able to pick battles in terms of, okay, this misdemeanor could be, over, could be overlooked this time. But, you know, there's a warning for next time. Your mom is here, your dad is here. They have been in this meeting. We're all clear about this. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I think what you're saying, it is sometimes just those small things, like feeling that someone cares enough to ring them or to write things yeah. in the book and those kind of things. That That's sometimes all it takes and needs, but yeah. they can have a huge overall perception on on how the parent and the child is perceiving the new school. Absolutely. Absolutely. And ask for help as well when they, sometimes it's very difficult, you know, to have these conversations. And, and I, that's why I think it is important that there are two or three key workers involved and, um, and one of them has to be decision making, has to have some decision making power. Yeah. When these conversations are difficult, because we know that I'm saying all of this and we do know that sometimes it's quite tricky to communicate with parents and Parents have, you know, enormous amounts of pressures themselves as well. They might be in very complex family and, you know, social situations themselves. Um, but th- there are there are sources of help. Um, you know, if they have an educational psychologist coming uh, or, or a family support worker, and get a mediator, get someone with... Um, you know, trained in communication skills and active listening, or get someone in um, to to mediate that conversation. I think to take the pressure of being a fa- on a face-to-face interaction always with parents, if, if they find it difficult. Yeah, you said that a head that really knows the child, and I think it's you know that is just so important, isn't it? Because you know, know the child, know the family, know the parent, and then think of them as, as kind of humans, not just a, a a mark on a behavior log or something like that. But absolutely, absolutely, that is something that came, you know, again and again. Seeing the themes in terms of the child and parent relationship was the, understanding the child as a whole and not necessarily just concentrating on, on the misbehaviors or the. Mm. Um, or oh, the difficult, um, challenging things or behaviours that happened and that led to exclusion. So the, the understanding the whole complexity. Um, but I think if it's not head teacher, someone else, um, a, 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 you know, a, a key worker, someone who knows the history of that child and then can inform the head teacher um, who makes the decisions. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think understanding, knowing and committing to the child uh, are essential to to success really. Yeah and I wanted just to end by asking you what do you think your research and work has taught you about the larger government strategy? Um, The Dinson Review suggested that there should be a practice improvement fund 
um, so that LA's mainstream special and uh, alternative provision schools can collaborate together on how to deliver good interventions for children with these needs, children at risk of exclusion. And one of the things that is mentioned in that recommendation is that um, approaches to engaging parents and carers um, should be looked at. And again, what I felt when I read that is, yeah, so all these professionals will be working together, sharing good practice about how to engage parents that finally, thank God, you know, this is really good. But none of these recommendations put across the idea that parents are actually partners. Bring them into these conversations. Bring them into these panels that they will have, these meetings that LA's are now going to be required to have. Mm. Um, And ask parents from their experience what helped. Parents who will engage, obviously, you can't force people, but invite them. Yeah. Um, if, you know, I'm glad that positive moves are being made towards, um, you know, swerving the, the, this trend of exclusions and bringing parents in, basically listening to parents. But they are not still not seen as active partners. And it is measures seem to be done to parents. How can we engage hard-to-reach parents? How can we teach parents how to deal with behaviour at home instead Mm of actually let's bring them to the table, let's make them partners. And I think that's what's still missing and what we should uh, perhaps strive um, or endeavour to achieve in the next few years. I guess that's what your research helped to see is, is, is like bring to life the opinions of parents and that group of people who maybe aren't considered in the process at all or or aren't considered often in the process exactly yes otherwise it's, they keep they keep receiving you know it's, it's, it's still a top-down professional to parents kind mm. of approach yeah. um, and i think there is a space we know all all the the reading material the, the research the current research all the guidelines and um government papers have established many times that parental involvement is important in education, in achievement, in children's well-being. However, it's still, it's very much an approach that it sees parents as in need of education, as in need of being told what to do, yeah. when in reality, my research suggested that they actually have a lot to say themselves and they want to collaborate, they want to make this work, that they need to be given the platform of a, a real voice and, and you know a real active place in these conversations yeah thank you so much for um sharing all your research and talking about it karina it's really it's really interesting to get that different perspective and and think about obviously exclusions that are happening every day so thank you yeah they are thank you sarah for giving me the opportunity i really enjoyed it and thank you for listening You can find information about what was discussed in this episode in the podcast description. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum and you can get in touch by emailing theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.